Russia says it's suspending the last big nuclear arms control treaty. It was one of the few ways the U.S. and Russia were still talking. Today, President Biden talks with NATO leaders about what to do. How much more dangerous could the world become? I'm Leila Falden. That's Steve Inskeep. And this is Up First from NPR News. A leading crime fighter was committing crimes. Hanaro Garcia Luna was Mexico's top law enforcement official. He also worked with the U.S., and now a U.S. jury has found him guilty of taking bribes. How much did he set back the fight against illegal drugs? Also, what do voters think of their presidential choices? A lot of Democrats have wanted someone besides President Biden to run. Now an NPR survey finds the president with greater support. Stay with us. We've got the news you need to start your day. Support for NPR and the following message come from Capital One, the 2023 lead sponsor of NPR Music. Capital One, with the Capital One Quicksilver card. Details at CapitalOne.com. What's in your wallet? Credit approval required. Capital One Bank, USA, N.A. An unhappy kid on the playground may threaten to take his ball and go home. But what happens when a world leader threatens to take his nuclear football and go home? Russia's President Vladimir Putin blames the U.S. for his invading army's trouble in Ukraine. And now he says Russia is suspending its participation in a nuclear arms control deal with the U.S. It's a decade-old agreement called the New START Treaty. Putin spoke in Moscow yesterday, and with its usual speed, Russia's legislature applied the rubber stamp today. So how much should we worry about the unraveling of a nuclear deal? NPR science and security correspondent Jeff Brumfield is following the story. Jeff, good morning. Good morning. What does this agreement do? It caps the number of weapons on bombers, missiles, and submarines to around 1,500. Now, each side is still allowed to keep a number of weapons in storage, but this is sort of the limit that can be deployed. It also allows for inspections of nuclear bases and for a lot of information exchange between the U.S. and Russia about nuclear weapons. Russia's announcement means there won't be any more inspections for the foreseeable future and the data likely won't be shared. But Russia did say it was committed to keeping its nuclear weapons at 1,500 deployed weapons, at least for now. They're going to to stay in notional compliance, or at least so they say, just not actually going to allow the inspections or anything else. Is that at least a little bit reassuring? Kind of, but there's a bigger picture, which is several other treaties have actually already collapsed in recent years. So in 2019, the U.S. withdrew from a treaty governing certain kinds of nuclear missiles. About a year and a half later, the U.S. and Russia both withdrew from another treaty related to nuclear weapons. Olga Olikar is with the nonprofit International Crisis Group, and she says the New START treaty is really all that's left. I mean, this was the last big treaty. And if it's gone, then the entire nuclear arms control infrastructure is gone. Which, I guess, in theory, means that one side or the other could take its thousands of other nuclear warheads out of the closet or the cave or wherever they've got them and deploy them. Is this going to mean a Cold War arms race? Well, not yet. Right now, as I said, we're, we're at about 1,500 warheads. And to give you a sense of how bad things were during the Cold War, at various points, each side had around 30,000 weapons. I spoke to arms control expert Lynn Rustin at the Nuclear Threat Initiative. She says that Russia doesn't want to go back there. They have historically always wanted to constrain U.S. strategic weapons because they don't want to be in an arms race either. 
But she adds the way you avoid an arms race is treaties. And those treaties do seem to be falling apart. Right now, we're just seeing a total breakdown with no prospect of recovery anytime soon. With the war in Ukraine grinding on, you know, I mean, the U.S. and Russian relations are at an all-time low. And Russia and other experts I spoke to think this suspension could be the beginning of the end. Uh, Jeff, you're the science and security correspondent. I don't feel secure when you say things like beginning of the end. What do you mean? I mean, you know, we could return to a Cold War-like situation, except it would be a lot more complicated because now we have countries like North Korea, which have nuclear weapons, and China is undergoing a dramatic expansion of its nuclear capabilities. So getting new treaties is going to be even harder. NPR's Jeff Brumfield, thanks for the insights. Thank you, Steve. Okay, the 2024 presidential election is taking shape. Many Republicans are hoping to prevent another Trump presidency, but so far, only former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley has officially announced she'll run for the job. President Biden is also expected to announce he'll seek re-election in 2024. A new NPR PBS NewsHour Marist poll out this morning takes a measure of how voters in both parties feel about their prospective nominees. Domenico Montanaro has the numbers. He is NPR's senior political editor and correspondent. Domenico, hi there. Glad to be here. I guess any presidential election needs to start with the incumbent if he might be running again. How do Democrats and voters generally feel about Joe Biden? Well, Biden's approval rating is actually ticked up to 46 percent with more than the 1,300 total respondents in the poll. And it's an even higher 49 percent with the 1,200 registered voters in the poll. And that 46 percent is the highest since March of last year. He hasn't been at 49 percent since the withdrawal from Afghanistan in August of 2021. And he's really benefited here from a rebound with Democrats. And in this hyperpartisan atmosphere, a president really needs his base shored up. One warning sign here, though, is that he's still lagging with independents. Just 36 percent of them approve of the job Biden is doing. Nevertheless, if he's rebounding with Democrats, does that mean Democrats are no longer looking around for some other candidate? Well, this really jumped out in the survey. You know, there's been a reversal here in Biden's favor. Back in November, right before the midterms, we asked Democrats and Democratic-leaning independents whether they had a better chance of winning the presidency in 2024 with Biden or with someone else. 54% then said someone else. Now 50% say that their best shot is with Biden. Hmm. You know, the biggest shifts are coming from whites without college degrees, those who make less than $50,000 a year, voters under 45, and women who live in small cities or in the suburbs, all, by the way, are key demographic groups that helped Biden win in 2020, the kinds of voters that he peeled away from Trump and who made some inroads with these groups in 2016. And this is happening likely for a few reasons. I mean, first, Democrats had better than expected midterms. Uh, Secondly, Biden's State of the Union address had to give at least some of them more confidence in Biden's ability to carry out this message going forward. Uh, And this poll took place after his State of the Union address. Uh, Third, these are Democrats and independents who lean Democratic. So they're already open to Biden's message. And this is likely part of the normal coalescing around a nominee as it becomes more and more apparent that Biden is going to run for re-election. Really interesting when you say whites without college degrees. That's a group of voters that Biden would argue he specifically 
is good at attracting to the Democratic Party compared to some other people. But what about Republicans? How are they looking? It's not as rosy a picture for Trump. With Republicans and independents who lean their direction, 68% have a favorable view of Trump and a quarter have a negative one. That doesn't seem too bad, but it's a net 27 points lower than Biden is with Democrats. It's the worst score for Trump among Republicans and Republican leaners since September of 2016. And it's worse than how potential Republican voters view Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. When you dig into these numbers, we get a pretty good idea of who potential Republican Trump and DeSantis primary voters are. And they're like mirror images of each other. You know, Trump does best with white evangelical Christians, whites without degrees, those who live in small towns or rural areas, and lower income voters. DeSantis, on the other hand, is best liked by college grads, those who make more than $50,000 a year, people who live in big cities or the suburbs, and Republican-leaning independents. So we see some pretty clear lanes here for them and could point to a protracted Republican primary if DeSantis does decide to get in. NPR's Domenico Montanaro, thanks so much. You're welcome. A man named Genaro Garcia Luna was once a senior official in Mexico, and now a jury in the United States has found him guilty of a secret life. The jury agreed that Garcia Luna took bribes from drug cartels. He did this at the same time he was working with U.S. authorities who tried to crack down on cartels. He was also found guilty of trafficking tons of illegal drugs into the U.S. Let's talk to a journalist who's been covering this case all along, Maria Hinojosa, longtime host of Latino USA and also co-host of the USA versus Garcia Luna podcast all about this case. Good morning. Good morning, Steve. What did Garcia Luna do? Wow. What did he do? Well, he was found guilty of uh, unanimously by this jury yesterday uh, in federal court in Brooklyn. Same judge, same courtroom as El Chapo. Hmm. The difference is, is that Genaro Garcia Luna was the top cop, uh, cabinet level security uh, officer within the presidency of Felipe Calderón in Mexico. And he was working for the DEA and all high level U.S. government uh, institutions fighting this so-called war on drugs in Mexico, receiving millions of dollars in U.S. taxpayers to fight this war, except, oops, he was also working for the Sinaloa cartel. He was found guilty of being a member of that cartel. It was incredibly dramatic, but sadly, Steve, not a lot of interest from most of the American mainstream media, which is pretty disappointing. Uh, But you were there, of course, and also covering this all along. What was the practical effect of a top Mexican official taking bribes from a cartel? How did that affect the United States, for example? Well, I mean, you know, the United States says it has the highest level of intelligence and says that the DEA is the most premier law enforcement agency to fight this war on drugs. How is it possible that for, I mean, the rumors and questions about Genaro Garcia Luna in Mexico began about 20 years ago. How is it possible that the United States, with all of its intelligence, didn't know or chose not to know, in which case we, uh, taxpayers, need to know exactly what's going on with the DEA and what is what is this war on drugs after all. I mean, the truth is, is that right now, Genaro Garcia Luna is probably not going to have a chance to get out of prison. Uh, he may be spending the rest of his life in prison. Will that affect the the traffic of drugs between the United States and Mexico? No. And of course, obviously, this is the consuming country of those drugs. Maria Hinojosa, pleasure talking with you again.
And that's up first for this Wednesday, February 22nd. I'm Steve Inskeep. And I'm Leila Fadzil. Up First is produced by Julie Deppenbrock and David West. Our editors are Alice Wolfley and H.J. Mai. And our technical director is Trey Watson. Start your day here with us again tomorrow. There's a simple way to explore the vast world. I can't say that any other way. The vast world of public radio shows and podcasts. NPR One. You hear stories from the station in your community. Also stories from across the country and around the world. Even podcast suggestions based on what you like. It all comes to an app on your phone, which you can find at the App Store, NPR One.